Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Tim, and welcome to History Dweebs. Um, today, I'm joined with Brandy, the blue hair beauty, Herman. How are you today, Brandy? I'm well. How are you, Tim? I am good. Um, the colonel is not with us today because he's out doing very important colonel stuff. Sure. And today, we just have a short podcast. It's, um, from time to time, we're going to do these shorts. Um, some of these uh, topics that we, we find interesting, um, are there's just not a whole lot of information on. And um, so, we just want to do... Um, some from time to time do a short uh, podcast. So when we do that, we don't invite the colonel because we know he has a tendency to elaborate quite long, a bit. Long-winded. Yes, he's long-winded. So um, today we're doing, in honor of Black History Month, we are going to talk about um, Bessie Coleman, Elizabeth Bessie Coleman. Um, and Bessie, actually, I love this story because um, she uh, is one of my favorite people in history because of um, she was a person that would just not let anything stop her from reaching her goals and um, I think that um, you know I really admire that so we're going to go ahead and get started Um, just to remind you again if you have suggestions for um, podcasts please let us know we would love to hear from you you can um, just like us on our Facebook page and inbox us there or you can um, send it to our email address, which is historydweeb, uh, that's history, D-W-E-E-B, at yahoo.com. So with that being said, uh, Brandy, won't you tell us a little bit about uh, Elizabeth Bessie Coleman? Uh, Bessie was born on January 26th, 1892 in Atlanta, Texas. Yeah, it was a town of less than 1,000 residents, and she was the 10th of 13 children to wow. George and Susan Coleman. A large family. Yeah, they needed to find another hobby. Yeah. Um, her parents worked as sharecroppers. Um, her father, George, was part Cherokee and African, African-American, and her mother, Susan, was an African-American. Uh, let's see when she was very young. Uh, George decided to move the family to Waxahachie, Texas. Oh, there probably was a lot going on in Waxahachie. There was. I mean, um, who wouldn't want to live in Waxahachie? I want to move there now. Yes. Um, but they wanted to make a better. He wanted to make a better life for his family, so he purchased a quarter-acre plot in the black section of town, and he built his family a small little three-bedroom house. Um, and they were. Bessie was about two years old when they moved 
into that house. Yeah, and then we're talking, uh, you know, this is not long after, really that long after the Civil War. So this is, you know, the segregated the South. She, um, she, lived, she actually lived in Waxahachie, Texas, uh, until she was 23 years old. Uh, she began attending school there at 6, and she walked four miles a day uh, to get to her segregated one-room house, schoolhouse, sorry. Uh, she completed the 8th grade, where she excelled in reading and math. Um, she was, By all accounts, she was a happy child. She played, she carried on, played with her brothers and sisters, which she had plenty of them. They had a baseball team, so she was doing all right. Uh, in 1891, when she was nine, uh, George decided he didn't want to be a sharecropper anymore. Uh, this is her dad. Yes. George decided he didn't want to be a sharecropper anymore, and he didn't like the racial barriers he was facing in Texas, so he decided to move to Oklahoma. Which was then still like the Indian Territory, It right? was called the Indian Territory, Yes. Uh, He was going to go there and find himself some better opportunities. And Bessie's mother, Susan, said, nah, I'm not going with you. And Susan and her kids stayed behind. So they they stayed in Wachitachi. Waxahachie, yeah. Waxahachie. And so basically dad leaves leaves mom and 12 kids behind. Right. Well, and eventually, um, not actually not long after George left, the boys left um, and went up with him. Which sort of left Susan and the girls, um, there were four girls all under the age of nine, um, left them back in Texas. Yeah, so they were just uh, uh, all, all girls. Yeah. All girls there. No, okay. No um, man of the house. A lot of estrogen. Yes, no man of the house around. Uh, within days of George leaving, Susan found a job. Um, she was a cook and a housekeeper for Mr. and Mrs. Elwin Jones. Um, and they were very generous. They were good to her. They allowed her to continue to live at home, um, and they would give food and handed down clothing to Susan and the girls. Um, and, and, and this time, Betsy took on kind of the maternal role with mom out of the... I was working on it. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm, just, I'm working just, on I'm it. I'm just helping out. I'm just helping I out. know you're a helper. Yeah, so, I'm a giver. While her mother worked at the Jones, she did. She took over the surrogate mother role. Um, and she would keep house at her house, um, you know, make make sure all the kids were fed and clothed and bathed and all those kinds of things. School work was done. Um, and it, But every year, all that routine was, um, you know, shattered with the cotton harvest. And everybody had to, volu- had to volunteer and go do the cotton harvest. There, were, there was cotton to be brought in. So um, she would have to go and do that. And they got everybody to do it. Yeah, and I mean, it was really a hand-to-mouth. Yeah, existence. it really was. Um, she completed, uh, let's see, she completed eight, all eight grades of her schooling at Missionary Baptist Church um, before she really just had to, she had to go to work and help her mom. When she turned 18, she took her savings and enrolled in Oklahoma Colored Agricultural and Normal University. It's now called Langston University in Langston, Oklahoma. And she completed a term, and her money ran out, and she had to go go on home. And so that's kind of her early years before she came back to Waxahachie. Yeah, and then so after she had to drop out of school because she didn't have tuition, um, some uh, her brothers that we mentioned earlier had had moved out of the home, and then they moved uh, moved to um, Chicago, and so in eight. 
1916, at age 23, uh, Betsy moved to Chicago uh, for better opportunities, where she found uh, work. She lived with her brothers, and she found work at the White Sox Barber Shop as a manicurist. And um, it was there while at the um, while working at as a manicurist that she met some of the more prominent uh, African American um, citizens of Chicago. And she also like uh, started. Uh, well, no, I think it's a little she bit before. Oprah? This was a little bit before Oprah, but she was able to um, while while being a manicurist there. She heard stories about. Um, flying and uh, uh, there were no um, uh, black aviators at the time but the, a lot of the guys um, as she was working there in, in Chicago um, this was right you know during uh, when she arrived in 1916 was right before the war uh, first world war and then as the guys started returning from the war She'd heard stories about uh, the pilots. You know, remember, you know, this was, you know, that not that long after, you know, what it was 1903 with the Wright brothers started flying. So, I mean, this is right. only, you know, new 13 years yeah, is new technology. But she started hearing tales of pilots who returned home from the First World War. And, um, in fact, as, as one, at least one of her brothers served during the war, and he would t- uh, tell her about um, the French pilots and uh, how French women uh, would fly planes. And then they, he would kind of taunt her and tease her that, you know, that, you know, look, you're never amount to nothing, that, you know, over in France, even the women fly planes. He's a big that, supporter. <laughs> yeah, so he would tease her. I think it was all in good nature, but... Um, Bessie was a person who was really determined, and she became very interested in flying, um, and she wanted to take lessons. And as I said, she had met some very prominent African-American customers working as a manicurist, and one of them was uh, Robert Abbott, who was the publisher of the Chicago Defender. I think, I want to say he was the first African-American millionaire. I'm not sure, but... um, she confirmed stat? Uh, no, that is not confirmed. But she, he was very wealthy, and um, he he liked uh, Betsy's determination and wanted to sponsor her in her um, goal to become the first African-American female pilot. The problem was that um, no school in the United States at the time would accept her, um, because she was African-American. She had applied to several different uh, flight schools. They've all rejected her. And her only option then was to go overseas to um, get the training that you know that she wanted. So uh, with the help of Mr. Abbott and um, other backers, um, they sent her to um, they sent her to France, and so she she uh, she was able to um, go to France and learn how to fly. Um, and she uh, traveled to Paris in November of 1920, and took lessons, uh, and was there for about a year, and she became the first uh, 
woman of African-American descent to earn her aviation pilot license. Um, she came back, uh, sailed back home uh, to New York in 1921, September of 1921. Why didn't she fly? And, well, I, I, you know, that, that, that was prior to uh, a trans-Atlantic uh, flight, a little bit before Charles Lindbergh. She, she took a boat. Did she have a plane? Not at that point, she didn't. But she came. She came home, and she was kind of a media sensation. She arrived in New York, and um, there was a African American play called Shuffling Along that was uh, on Broadway, and um, she she went there, met the cast, and kind of became the toast of the town. And you know, they introduced her at the show as being you know the first African American female pilot. Um, so she had accomplished what she wanted to do, but at that, and she went on a speaking tour and spoke to a lot of African American groups around the country. But um, and she was doing that. She she was doing those speaking tours so that she could um, raise money to buy her own a plane. A plane, exactly, because a pilot is you know pilot wants a plane, obviously. She um, she went back to work in a beauty shop in Orlando to earn some extra money as well. Um. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you to buy a plane and in those days you know there wasn't a lot of career opportunities for pilots they were um, certainly pilots were used during the war but there was no you know air uh, passenger air was not um, not established at that point so the only way to really make any money in the in the field was to do uh, barnstorming, and um, so you know what barnstorming is, right? Storming a barn. Yeah, storming a barn. It was make uh, it rain. Uh, it was uh, air shows, basically. The the um, pilots would do um, de- death defying tricks. 
and loop-de-loops and, uh, you know, uh, just crazy, crazy, crazy stunts. They would get out on the, you've probably seen the old footage where they'd get out on the wings and yeah. juggle balls or whatever. Um, but that was really the only way, because aircraft, uh, airplanes were still new, so it held a fascination for people. So barnstorming was a way that pilots could earn a living. So they would go town to town and do these stunts, um, very, very dangerous stunts, um, to, uh, to earn money. And I guess it would be, you know, we last time we talked about freak shows, I guess this would be, you know, sort of like that. That um, Obviously, the pilots are very skilled and talented, but it was, again, uh, playing to that same reality TV show type of audience. Uh, people went to it to see uh, to see all the tricks, but in the back, you know, it's like any, you know, it's like going Is to someone see... someone going to die. Yeah, it's like going to see Evil Knievel, right? And a lot of them did die. Um, so... But Coleman knew before she would. She wasn't at that that level yet where she could do those tricks and do them successfully. So she went back to France uh, and studied some more so that she could become proficient enough in in her flying that she could actually take part in these barnstorming. Her ultimate goal was to open a flight school for African Americans. That was her dream. But in order to do that, she had to raise some money. So she um, she went this uh, barnstorming route, and again became she came back in. Um, so she went to Europe again in February of of 1922, and spent the next few months in France, uh, completing a advanced course in aviation, mm-hmm. and. Um, Became, you know, she she really impressed the aviators in Europe with her skill and her determination. Like I said, she she didn't let anything stop her. Um, she had moxie. She really did have moxie, uh, and so she came back to the United States. And then for the next few years, she um, she did barnstorming, and she did these. Uh, she traveled the country doing these very, you know, these daredevil maneuvers um, like we like I said like uh, figure eights loop to loops um, they call near, near ground dips where she would fly really close to the ground and um, she was just very well received um, there was one of the larger events occurred in Chicago um, at the checkerboard airdrome uh, in in Chicago, and in fact, um, the last time I was in O'Hare Airport and was leaving there, they have a street uh, named after Bessie Coleman. Uh, did you get your picture taken? No, did you take a selfie? I did not take a selfie. Oh, she was uh, very popular on the speaking tours and the barnstorming tours, and again, she never lost sight of uh, her goal, which was to open a African-American flight school. She was um, very popular in the media, especially the African-American media. She was offered a role in a featured film titled Shadow and Sunshine. Um, It was uh, being produced by an African-American film production company she accepted the role in hopes that it would um, advance her career and pro- finally provide her the money that she needed to establish her own flying school. 
Um, but upon learning about the first scene of the movie, um, which required her to appear in taggered clothes with a walking stick and a pack on her back, um, she refused. Um, she refused to do the movie because she said it uh, fed into um, derogatory stereotypes of African Americans. So it was a uh, would have been a great opportunity for her in terms of um, financial rewards so she could start school. But um, she she would not do that at the expense of feeding into um, stereo the black uh, stereotypes at the time. So uh, she continued to, but she continued to uh, do the bond storming, and um, she had a crash. She had several accidents, and in one crash in Los Angeles, um, she broke her leg and, and um, messed up her back quite a bit. But she recovered. And um, sought to purchase a new plane for her barnstorming, and which she did. She bought a used plane, and um, that she was going to uh, first fly in a exhibition in Jacksonville, Florida. Her mechanic, William Willis. Uh, flew to Dallas to get the plane, and uh, on his way back, um, they had an air show scheduled in Jacksonville. This is in April of 1926. They had a um, air show scheduled in Jacksonville, and uh, William Willis went to uh, Atlanta, or went to Dallas to get the plane. He flew it, but he had to make several stops along the way, forced landings. Um, because the the plane that they purchased was such in such in poor condition, it was poorly maintained. It was worn out. You really but, don't want to buy planes used, I think. Well, I mean, that's all they they could afford. They didn't have a big budget, so they they had to take what they could get. Um, and upon learning of the condition of this plane, Coleman's family and friends. Uh, you know, begged her not to fly in this in this aircraft that wasn't safe. Um, but you know, she was never one to back away from any challenge. So um, she uh, went on with the show as planned, and or I planned on going on with the show. And but she went up to uh, she and her pilot or her um, or co-pilot or her. Uh, Mechanic William Willis um, were was flying uh, the plane to prepare for the show in Jacksonville on April 30th, 1926, and the plan was for the next day uh, Coleman to parachute from the plane, and they had to, which was kind of the highlight of the act. They had to go up and make sure that. They were uh, finding uh, they the finding the right spot for them to for her to parachute uh, for her landing, and um, so she couldn't see well enough from her her vantage point in the um, co-pilot seat. So she had to uh, take her seatbelt off 
and uh, kind of lean out of the plane to get a better view of where um, the landing would take place, find to find a, a you know a, the terrain, the right terrain to land. And um, as she, she did that, it. yeah, as she did that, the the plane about ten minutes into the flight took an unexpected dive, which threw a Coleman out of the plane. Uh, again, she hadn't loosened her seatbelt. And she dropped uh, from the plane um, 2,000 feet and died instantly when she she hit the ground. Um, William Willis, who was her who was piloting the plane, he was unable to gain control of the plane, and um, the plane crashed, and he died as well upon impact. And then the plane burst in, into flames. Uh, it was later discovered that what, there was a wrench. Uh, had been used on the plane, um, and it had slid into the gear uh, gearbox and jammed it, and that's that's what it caused the plane to dive. Um, Coleman was just 34 years old at the time, and you know she lived in a an amazing life and uh, a short life, but an amazing life and an amazing lady. She. Um, a public library in Chicago was named in her honor. As I mentioned before, there was a um, street near the uh, O'Hare International Airport in Chicago named after um, Betsy. Um, there is a Bessie Coleman Middle School in Cedar Hill, Texas, um, which was near where she was from, was named after her. And also a street in Wachahachi named after her. And um, she, in I believe it was 1995, the U.S. Um, Postal Service issued a, a stamp honoring Bessie Coleman um, yeah, for her um, courage. And she is now, uh, she in 2006, she was inducted to the National Aviation Hall of Fame. So a just a, a remarkable person and. A, um, a true uh, aviator and just an amazing person. So, do you have anything to add about Betsy there, Brandy? I do not have anything. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Brandy. So, that's another episode. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it. Again, this is just a kind of extra podcast, um, which we'll do from time to time. We encourage you to, uh, if you haven't checked out us out on Facebook, to do so. Like us, please. If you have a topic that you would like to uh, for us to cover, please um, inbox us at Facebook, or you can send us an email at history dweeb. That's history w uh, history d w e e b at yahoo.com. Um, we're also on. Uh, you can download our podcast on iTunes and Stitcher, and we are hope to talk to you soon. Bye now. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.